Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson. Hello and welcome to the MCS podcast. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that marked difference in sound quality indicates that it is not Jeff Anderson and I speaking to you for the Friday Reload for MCS Magazine and our blog. It is just me, Buck Green, uh, lodged firmly in my undisclosed location behind enemy lines in communist New York State. Uh, where we are blessed to have the highest taxes of the entire United States and the least individual freedoms also. We're number one, ladies and gentlemen, and as I raise a single finger high pointed at our governor, I reflect on the fact that we are number one. That sound you hear in the background is jets flying high overhead uh, because I live in a bunker underneath an airport. That's right. I have finally outed myself. I live in a bunker underneath an airport. Speaking of which, Jeff Anderson could not be here this week for the podcast because Jeff is taking a, a course. He's actually taking some training. That's right. When we're not making fun of Jeff on the podcast, Jeff is actually doing stuff that teaches him how to help you and everyone else. Um, he's taking a course with Kevin Reeve of On Point Tactical. And if you've listened to our podcasts or done any reading on our blog, you know that Kevin Reeve is one of the folks in our network. Um, specifically, Jeff is taking an urban escape and evasion course, which I've got to admit sounds a little bit kinky. They take you and they handcuff you and they put a hood over your head and they throw you in the trunk of a car and they tell you you're a naughty boy and then they drop you off. I, I may have been making up that last part. They drop you off uh, somewhere in an urban area and you've got to not only escape from the handcuffs, but you've also got to escape from the people that are going to be pursuing you. Uh, I'm not sure of the exact details of that, but it's all it sounds like something out of a movie, frankly. And uh, this all happens after you, of course, get the training in order to do uh, just exactly that. So I'm a little jealous and a little terrified for Jeff. Uh, he hopefully will be back. He's probably locked in the trunk of a car right now, which I don't know if that's any different from an average weekend for Jeff. I don't ask. I'm not here to judge. I do, however, have my life-size mannequin of Jeff uh, made from a body opponent bag and a a uh, photocopy of a picture of Jeff taped to the face of the Bob because we miss him when he's gone. And frankly, uh, it's just not the same when he's not in his chair. So, Jeff, how did you prepare for this a eh, little bit kinky weekend uh, surviving out in the urban environment? I go through the MCS magazine spanking machine today. Wow, I, I could swear we agreed previously not to talk about that. I like the spanking machine. It's Friday. Well, Friday it certainly is, and because it's Friday, I thought we would focus on a couple of posts that I thought were most important from the MCS Magazine blog, uh, that's mcsmagazine.com. Uh, the first one that was really important to me is a topic that I don't think gets covered enough. That one was called, Three Bug Out Survival Plan Tips for the Elderly and Immobile. Um, most bug out plans are designed for young people, for fit people, able-bodied men and women. We just assume that you're going to be able to throw half your house on your back in this giant pack and, you know, tramp out into the woods and survive like Denzel Washington with a machete on one side and a Bible on the other. But, uh, frankly, you know, we're not all going to be Jack Bauer. We're not all going to be action heroes. A lot of us are not going to be what you would consider... 
uh, able-bodied. You know, we all, a lot of us have medical issues. A lot of us have mobility issues. Um, as society just in general trends older, there's more and more people who believe in survival and believe in preparation, but who have problems getting around. Uh, Bugging out, especially if you end up having to bug out on foot, is one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life. It's one of the reasons that a bug out bag really needs to be light. It needs to be mobile. You can't afford to weigh yourself down. No matter how much weight you think you can carry, you can actually carry less than that for an extended period of time, especially over uneven terrain and especially under stress. Um, The first tip was uh, to be realistic about bugging out. Um, are you and your family unit, your survival group, whoever's going to be traveling with you, can you really move over long distances? If not, surviving where you are, digging in and riding it out may be your only option, or it might be your best option. If that's the case, you need to stock up heavily and have the supplies on hand to fortify your home, you know, plywood, nails, things like that. You need to have enough supplies, enough weaponry, enough things to get you through the emergency. If you do have the option to travel, or it's just so bad out there that you don't have a chance, the one way you can stack the deck in your favor is to go early. Be the first to bug out. You need to uh, get out of there before the roads get clogged, before everyone else has the same idea. And finally, one way that you can simplify things is to lighten your overall load. No matter how heavy your bug out bag is, it can be lighter. No matter how light it is, it can be lighter. You can find ways, you can find things you don't absolutely need, narrow it down to just the bare essentials. That's the only way you're going to survive a bug out situation. These are all good tips for somebody who's in perfectly good health, somebody who is reasonably athletic and physically fit. So they go twice for people who have any kind of mobility issue, even if you're in great health, maybe you're relatively young, what happens if you have young children? If you have a toddler with you, that's like having an old, an elderly person with you. I mean, having a toddler or having your grandmother along on a bug out is essentially the same thing. They can't walk on their own unassisted for great periods of time, and you're going to be spending an awful lot of time and resources just trying to make sure they're okay. Um, so that's worth considering, and I wish we as a survival community spent more time focusing on, focusing on the not ideal condition. Uh, you know, looking at how do we help people who are less than perfect? Because so many of us fall short of perfection. And the older you get, well, it sure beats the alternative. But the older you get, the less options you'll have. My father is almost 70 years old. He has uh, long been into survival and preparation. He's the person that taught me about survival. He's the person that taught me to be equipped. He always carried the biggest Swiss Army knife that uh, they make. It was with him every day, every minute. He always had the bare minimum of sort of daily, everyday carry pocket essentials on him at all times. He carried around what was practically a tool and die shop in the back of his truck. This was a man who taught me the value of preparation. Well, now, at 67 years old, while he tries to stay active, he is in relatively poor health, and he just had one of those automatic defibrillators installed in his heart. Uh, This is a device that uh, zaps your heart back into rhythm when it stops working. It's not a pacemaker. It's a little more proactive of a device, a little less constant. It it only does things when it's needed. But, uh, you know, it's a fairly big deal for him, and it's representative of the fact that no matter how prepared you are, eventually you're going to reach a point where your body's just not keeping up. So, (laughs) I guess what I'm saying is, 
quite apart from trying to live as healthfully as we can, maybe dealing with some of those lingering health issues that you have so they don't become worse later, you also need to look at, do my survival preparations take into account my own physical limitations? That's, that's very important, and it's something that I have struggled with over the years, too, because when I started uh, preparing, I was a young man. I, I was a uh, you know, relatively young fellow, and uh, it seemed like, well, you know, I'm, I'm up for this. But, you know, the, the, the more years go by, the more those little aches and pains creep in, the more those pounds pack on, and the more you think, gosh, you know, just, just how far am I going to walk with this bug-out bag? And, gosh, it's awfully heavy, isn't it? All right, the other post that I wanted to highlight is MCS Podcast 15, Zombie Defense with Jake Sepulveda. This is basically our blog post about the interview that we did with zombie expert Jake Sepulveda. Uh, I'm a little snobby when it comes to zombie stuff, because I was into zombies before they were cool. And I don't mean to sound like a hipster, but before they became a mainstream cultural phenomenon, before The Walking Dead, before all of the new remakes of zombie movies, I was into the original George Romero zombie movies, you know, the original black and white Night of the Living Dead, the uh, the color remake that, that he did that starred a, a woman as the lead character. You know, those, I had all those on VHS, I was really into them, and I just liked them for what they were. They, they were cool survival stories. I, I think the reason that zombies resonate with us in, in a horror movie sense is because we all want to shoot our neighbors in the face. And, and by that I mean people are fucking assholes, and we hate them. We really do. We hate our neighbors. We hate everything about them. Sure, we make exceptions for some of our friends, but overall, we do not like the people around us. They're jerks. We hate them for good reason. Well... Zombies represent our neighbors, and the idea of living in a universe where most of our neighbors are free game, and you're actually encouraged to shoot them in the face, that has kind of a primal appeal. Now, no, none of us would actually like to live in the zombie apocalypse. I don't know about you, but I'm sort of attached to certain things like Hulu and Amazon and medical care. These are all things that go away in a zombie apocalypse, but... On the other hand, the idea of, you know, the IRS, gone. Your taxes, gone. That annoying guy down the street, shot in the face because he was a fucking zombie. That has a certain fantasy appeal to it. We all kind of like the idea of just suspending the everyday, the mundane. Well, zombies have a, a sort of a more educational aspect to them. Yes, it's fantasy, and yes, there are a lot of zombie websites and zombie podcasts and zombie this and zombie that. You know, it reminds me of the time that my father's garden overproduced zucchini, and there was one glorious summer where we ate zucchini bread and zucchini cookies and zucchini bars and zucchini this and zucchini that because there was a lot of fucking zucchini coming out of that garden. Well, there's a lot of zombies. There's uh, zombie movies, zombie TV shows, there's... Uh, zombie action figures, zombie airsoft guns, zombie ammunition, which I really don't get because, frankly, if you're buying the zombie ammunition, you're paying more money for a product that does nothing different. You're paying for the packaging. You're paying for a novelty box, and the price increase is not insignificant. I mean, it wasn't so long ago that we were all racked with ammunition shortages and 22 is still in really short supply, but things have gotten a little bit better on the, on the sort of the national front for ammunition. But 
zombie ammo? Like, I'm not sure who decided that electric green was the color of zombies. I don't know. I guess it's vaguely reminiscent of, like, the glowing green radiation mist that is in some zombie movies. Oh, minor aside, there's the George Romero zombie movies, and then there's the zombie movies where the zombies talk about brains and want to eat your brain. Those are not the good movies. Those are, like, the return of the Living Dead series. There was this weird copyright thing that happened where... Romero, I don't know, failed to do something, and the Return of the Living Dead movies were made and were able to legally have that title, even though they're not related to the Night of the Living Dead franchise. So something of the Living Dead is pretty much free game when it comes to titles out there in movie land. But, I don't know, somebody at some point decided that electric green was the color of zombies, so now you can buy knives with electric green handles and ammunition that comes in electric green boxes, and for all I know, you can buy ammunition that has electric green bullets in it. I I can't imagine anything stupider, and actually most of those bullets don't have anything different about them. They're just ammunition that comes in a stupid box, but point being, we've gotten a little ridiculous when it comes to the zombie craze. We've taken it to a sort of a ridiculous extreme. But zombies can teach us things. And that's because, if you think about it, if your home could withstand a zombie attack, it could probably withstand an attack by looters. Now, granted, zombies aren't going to be firing guns at you, so that does introduce a wrinkle. But if you were to look at your home and envision its defenses from the standpoint of zombies as a metaphor for what you were going to be facing, and you designed all of your defenses sort of in keeping with the goal of protecting the homestead from zombies, you'd actually not be doing too badly. Um, If you were designing the things you stockpiled, like, gosh, in a zombie apocalypse, I'm going to need these supplies because I won't be able to go to the store because (laughs) fucking zombies, and I won't be able to do the things I normally would do. I won't have the resources, the electricity may go out. All of that scenario planning, all of that gaming out, using zombies as the threat actually works in the real world when you face a real-world problem. Zombies, therefore, can be used as a way of sort of not only blunting the impact for people who may not be entirely comfortable with the idea of prepping, but also as a way of making the whole thing kind of entertaining. Because, you know, this is work. It's hard work. I actually enjoy preparing because I enjoy the idea of being alive. But on some level, it is work, and if you can introduce elements of fantasy into it that make it entertaining while you're doing it, then you're not doing too badly. That's not a bad thing. Um, I do think that uh, you have to be grounded. You can't afford to get too ridiculous. I have seen people engaged in vehement arguments over whether or not, like, a twenty-two will effectively kill a zombie. Now, that argument on one level does have some validity in that if you're arguing over whether or not a 22 bullet is going to reliably penetrate the human skull, you're also really arguing about the reliability of the 22 cartridge as uh, an anti-personnel round. You know, if, if you were going to standardize on 22 because 22 is small and you could pack away bricks and bricks of it, <laughs> gosh, the fantasy images that conjures up. There was a time when you could go into a store and buy bricks and bricks of 22 if only we knew what we were about to lose before we lost it. But I digress. Um, There are legitimate arguments that all of these zombie arguments can provoke, but people get sidetracked into the zombie aspect of it. You know, are they fast zombies? Are they slow zombies? Will this effectively decapitate a zombie? Let me tell you something about the whole decapitation thing. It's a lot harder to cut somebody's head off than anybody thinks it is. But be that as it may, I mean, I've heard, I've heard, I wouldn't actually know. 
But be that as it may, zombies can be a powerful metaphor for survival, and we can use them in an educational way. Um, the podcast with Jake Sepulveda should be viewed in that uh, in, in that sort of light. Yes, he's talking about zombies, and he and his crew really enjoy the concept of zombies and the zombie movie idea and all that stuff. But it's more than that. Uh, you know, on some level, all of this loops back around to be painfully, painfully real. Um, and I think that's something that we do need to keep in mind. But it's okay to have fun. You know, I, I like to say... Everything you do does not have to be doom and gloom and preparations for the end times. It's very possible to get sucked into the the dark and nasty aspects of this. You know, uh, the the movie that scared the utter shit out of me was Cormac McCarthy's The Road. I read the book, and uh, it wasn't really impressed with the way the book is written because I don't like his sort of put-on writing style. But the movie, I was able to enjoy in and of itself, because I you know, wasn't confronted by his writing, the storyline is still terrifying, because it portrays a world where, you know, some sort of apocalypse, maybe nuclear or something else has happened, and society is wrecked, and there's almost no resources. Um, and that's a theme throughout post-apocalyptic uh, films. Um, you may remember the movie Soylent Green with Charlton Heston. The book on which Soylent Green is based is called Make Room, Make Room, and that is a dystopian science fiction novel about the future where there is no Soylent Green. That's not a thing. There's no, you know, people are being chopped up and used. That that was added by Hollywood, the whole eating people thing. The the book, Make Room, Make Room, is all about how in the future there isn't enough stuff and it really sucks and you're going to die unhappy. And to me, that's a lot more terrifying than any sort of movie monster we could come up with. I think, you know, we like the idea that we could fight the zombies. I mean, they're right there. They're pretty slow. Shoot them in the head. Yeah, you win. Zombies as monsters really are not that effective, and, and they're relatively easy to fight as long as you don't stupidly put yourself in a position to be overwhelmed by them. We are comforted by the idea that in a survival scenario we could overcome it, and the reason we enjoy watching zombie movies and television shows like The Walking Dead is because we like the idea that we could cope. We like to compare what we would do to what those stupid actors are doing, and of course... Actors always do stupid things. You know, a typical horror movie, hey, I just found Steve hanging from his intestines in the bathroom. Let's find the guy who did it. No, I'm sorry, let's get in the truck and drive away and call the cops because there's a killer on the loose. No, that's not what people in horror movies do. So, but that brings us back to the road. The reason the road is terrifying is because it's very, very realistic. It depicts a world in which, hey, you may have resources, you may have a machete, you may have a gun, you may have a, bu a bug out bag, but when the world is blighted and there's nothing in it worth having, where are you going to go and what are you going to do? And worse, how are you going to prepare and provide for your family, for your dependents? The crushing horror of a movie like The Road is, here is a guy who's trying to protect his child, and he's not sure that he's going to be able to. And I find that terrifying. Those of you who are parents should find that more terrifying than anything. And that's probably why a lot of us do get involved in, in prepping. It isn't just about one guy in a bunker underneath an airport somewhere behind enemy lines in New York State. It's about entire families trying to provide for those families and make sure they're safe in a dangerous, dangerous world. So when you look at zombies, hopefully you'll look at them both for entertainment but also for education and actually value them for the metaphor that they represent. 
Okay, let's get to what do you know. Jeff is not here, but I do know that Jeff discovered uh, something uh, new this week. He learned what happens when you consume great volumes of Mexican food manufactured by a cut-rate little eatery that just opened down the street and might as well have been served out of the back of a truck. Jeff, why don't you tell us about your experience with Mexican food truck catering? You could basically hear the boom from my house. Oh, oh, my, that, that does... That does sound unpleasant. Well, uh, as far as my what do you know, uh, we've talked previously in previous podcasts about the danger of surveillance. Uh, It's one of the reasons we're going to be focusing more in future podcasts about the threat to your freedom from Big Brother, but also from your neighbors. Uh, You contribute to the digital surveillance web on you by posting updates to social media, among other things. But your neighbors contribute to the web of surveillance taking place around you because surveillance technology is becoming more and more common and more and more inexpensive. Uh, Just recently, I was uh, on site. I work in a technical job, and I watched a couple of engineers who were playing around with a drone. I had never seen one in person before. This was a device um, It's about the size of a large dog if you flattened the dog and added helicopters i'm sorry that's that's a really weird metaphor but anyway it's not that big you know it's a couple of feet by a couple of feet it's got four propellers at each one at each corner um you can put bumpers around it so it looks like something out of a science fiction movie uh and when it's flying it not only has a camera built into it but the guy operating the thing can control it from his smartphone and get a real-time view of what the camera sees through the smartphone. I, I saw that, and I was amazed by it. I was absolutely amazed by what I was looking at. Um, it was really cool, and it kind of made me want one. And then immediately I started to think about all the potential for mischief with this device. But also, anybody can buy one of these things off the Internet for like 150 bucks. That means that no matter where you are, somebody with a camera drone could be spying on you from outside your window or from just above where you are. You can be flying these things around a park. You can be, you know, flying it around above a beach, looking down people's bathing suits, whatever. There's any number of ways that you could be finding yourself surveilled by these drones. Um, Recently in the news, there was a report uh, at the airport, the one that my bunker is underneath, Somebody saw a drone, a pilot saw a drone near his plane. And, you know, the the airspace there, of course, is strictly controlled. There should be no flying drone anywhere near the airport. But also the danger from the drone is not just that the drone could interfere with another plane or get in the way or distract somebody. What if that drone gets sucked into an engine and suddenly, you know, causes an entire passenger plane to crash because somebody was dicking around with something near where actual planes are going. So the threat from drones is actually one that we are contributing to, we are creating, because as they become more popular, as we voluntarily buy more and therefore put more of them in the air, and we're starting to see all kinds of drone videos on YouTube now, and footage of, there's one viral video where this guy is trying like hell to stop his drone from falling in the water because it ran out of battery power while it was up there. Things like that, you know. As this becomes a cultural phenomenon, everybody and their friggin' uncle is going to have a drone, and they're all going to be looking at you. All right, I'm going to wrap this up since it's just me. Um, I wish that Jeff could be here with us, but he is busy being handcuffed and locked in trunks by big, strong men. So we only hope that Jeff will escape and return with us next time. 
Uh, from all of us here at MCS Magazine, uh, check out the blog at mcsmagazine.com and uh, do uh, your part and uh, uh, vote us up. You know, rate the podcast. I know we were really highly rated under the, the new and noteworthy podcasts. Visit us on Facebook, too. Um, check us out at Modern Combat and Survival on uh, Facebook because we do all kinds of great posts there, and there's plenty of opportunity for interactivity. I occasionally even will answer some some posts. Not that you're like, oh, I want to hear what Buck thinks. I mean, you could tune into this and go, yeah, I don't, I don't need to know what that guy thinks. But uh, basically, come back and keep coming back. Oh, my God, this sounds like a 12-step program now. Uh, not, I mean, I've heard, not that I would know. <laughs> at any rate, from all of us here at MCS Magazine, and on behalf of Jeff Anderson, our president, train hard, stay safe, and prepare now. Thanks, everyone. Good night, everybody. I, I don't know why I said good night. It could be day that you're reading this, listening to this. You're not reading this, you're listening to this. I'm, I, I'm bad at this. Jeff is going to fire me. I'm, I'm not good at this. <laughs> This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.